Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, welcome to the OCR Underground Show. This is SGX coach, Mike Diebler, and you're listening to episode 103. If you want to uh, check out the show notes for today's episode and any links mentioned in the show, head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 103. I also wanted to take a minute, let you know about our sponsors of the show so you can check out their amazing products. Um, do me a favor and check out the Amino Company. The Amino Company makes high quality essential amino acid supplements. If you haven't listened yet, a few episodes ago, I interviewed one of the co-founders, Dr. Robert Wolf. And I highly recommend listening to it and learning more about how essential amino acids can help you in really a variety of ways. So many clients that I work with struggle to get enough protein in. And while whole food sources are obviously ideal, getting additional help from supplements like essential amino acids makes this task incredibly easy. Uh, the amino company has formulations specifically for increasing training performance, muscle repair and recovery, as well as improving liver function. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting peak athletic performance and maximizing your training effects, I highly recommend checking out the amino company. Uh, right now, you can get 30% off your order when you visit aminoco.com OCR and use the discount code OCR at checkout. I'm also really excited about a new sponsor of the show. You guys know how much I talk about recovery and all the cool things that you can be doing to help you perform at your best while staying as fresh as possible. Ice baths has obviously become very popular uh, in recovery and in the recent in recent years. But the biggest problem has often been the logistics of setting up the ice bath or the price tag that comes along with many products out there. The pod company has changed all this. I'll be putting out more info on my personal experience um, and, and the really cool stuff that, that I've been doing with their products, um, but I've really been loving it so far. Uh, the company was founded on the vision of making wellness accessible to everyone. The IcePod Pro is easy to set up, portable, can be used indoor and out or outdoor, keeps water cold for days, and uses ultraviolet resistant material for regular outdoor setup and use. Uh, the best part is it is super affordable. Uh, just go to the show notes so you can get my special link and save $10 off your order for any of the pod company products. Again, go to the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 103 and get the special link to get 10 bucks off your order. All right, well, uh, if I can get this podcast out um, this week, I am gonna be heading up to LA to the Idea World uh, Health and Fitness, uh, Fitness and Nutrition Conf Conference and Expo. And uh, I'm gonna be checking out the Expo, which is always fun to see the, the, the cool new tools and supplements and all that fun stuff that's out there. Plus I'm sure run into uh, some familiar faces while there. Um, but I'm also going to be helping out at the Deca Strong event there. I know they have a ton of people signed up. Um, it's going to be really fun. It should be a, a pretty uh, motivating and, and um, exciting environment to do a Deca Strong in. So if you're going to be at the, uh, the competition or the trade show, definitely be on the lookout. It'd be great to, uh, to, to chat. 
Um, maybe I'll even be your judge if you're racing in the competition. All right. In today's episode, as always, I have some great content for you. Uh, it's just me today. No special interview. Uh, but in this episode, I, I have some uh, great research we're going to talk about. Actually, more of a review than research. And it's looking at getting strong. And, uh, you know, I like really diving into the science and the physiology behind, you know, the things we do in the weight room. And uh, this is a great write-up of kind of how we get strong, looking at the the, the different <clears throat> mechanisms within the body that, that create strength and um, really what we need to do to in order to get stronger. And I, I always feel like when you have good knowledge of this kind of thing, it really just helps you put together a better program for yourself or if you're working with, with clients. So we're going to get into uh, all about how to get strong in my research review. And then in my uh, main segment, then in my main uh, segment, I want to talk about becoming more resilient. Um, and this is actually going to be a two-parter because I think with the training that we do, uh, we want to be resilient with the body, right? And staying injury-free and performing at our, our best. And then we want to be resilient in the mind too, and being able to handle challenges and obstacles and pushing through when it's really easy to give up. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to make you more durable and specifically talking about your body and the, the simple things that you can do. I'm going to dive into um, some easy training things you can do to really make you uh, more durable so you can uh, train hard, but more importantly, stay, stay healthy so you can keep racing, keep doing the things that you love to do. All right, well, let's get into today's episode. it is time for my research review. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to get strong. Uh, this was a great um, article in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. It's actually a free access article. So again, check out the show notes. You can get the direct link. I know some of the uh, studies that I put on there, you do have to be a paying member to get access to some of them. But this one is a free one. So if you want to take a deep dive in uh, into the, the science behind getting strong, I thought this is a well-written article and has some great information. Uh, but I will be going over the main points. So uh, if you don't want to read it, I'll, I'll give you the highlight reel so you know what is uh, what you can apply. So this is uh, titled Maximizing Strength, the Stimuli and Mediators of uh, Strength Gains and Their Application in uh, to training and rehabilitation. So I like these types of articles because um, I always want to know why I'm doing something. And, you know, sometimes we push hard just to push hard. And, I, you know, we'll get into the mental side of the training in, in part two of the series. Um, but I think too many people resort to that, right? If it's hard, it's good. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I want to have a better answer. I want to know, like, why specifically am I trying to do something? Like, what am I trying to accomplish? Why am I doing this? And there's so much good research out there. And that's kind of what this article does, summarize a lot of the research already out there and, and uh, you know, kind of paints a, a broader picture so we can apply it. So it's important to understand this because then we can look at different training methods out there. And sometimes you can call BS because there's really no, no um, you know, science or research behind it. Now, I, I do think most of the stuff we do should be using this research as kind of our, our guideline, 
Now, of course, there's some things that research either doesn't know yet or we haven't studied. So we can't re use research for everything. But I think based on how much is out there that we do know, that should be the majority of your training, really focusing on you know, tried and true measures that are telling us, hey, these things work. And then you get to play around with a little bit and experiment on your own. I, I know I've done podcast episodes about this before, using yourself as an experiment to see, hey, is this thing I think is cool? Is it really working or is it not really doing a whole lot? So having that little bit of freedom, but also having majority of what you're doing kind of really uh, been proven methods to, to training. And when we combine that, I think we, we get a lot out of our, our program. So um, we're going to dive into uh, some of the mechanisms. So they discuss uh, uh, a few different mechanisms on, on what happens, right? Because that's the whole point of training is we push our bodies and something happens, right? There's some type of signal in within our body, we respond and we get an adaptation. And here we're looking for strength. Now we can't just have one time adaptation or one time stress in order to get adaptation, right? So we need mediators. So things to guide us. So we do this chronically and then ultimately get better you know, stronger is what we're looking at here. Um, and then they also have some cool things looking at the future direction as well as some um, guidelines when you don't have much uh, heavy resistance, how you can still get strong. So uh, I figure we kind of go through and, and summarize everything within this article. So first, um, looking at the mechanisms, right? So how how do we get strong? So, right, we're, we do resistance training for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, like I'm going to talk about later, it's going to help us become more durable, strengthen the, the muscles, joints, um, all these different things. Uh, that's that's important. And that's why we want to want to do our strength training. Um, another thing I often talk about is strength is a prerequisite to obstacles. And I always like to talk about strength first, because always people are always looking for the, the trick to get through an obstacle, right? What's What do I need to do to get across the monkey bars or climb the rope? And, and obviously there are strategies and, and these tricks that will be helpful, but they're really only helpful when you're strong enough to actually use that strategy. And I think that's where people run into trouble where somebody te maybe teaches them how to do an obstacle and they still can't do it. And sure, maybe there was another technique that might be better, um, but in reality is there's a good chance they don't have the strength to overcome it. And I always go back to when I when I first started doing obstacle core racing, um, I didn't know anything about any of the obstacles. I didn't train for any of them because I didn't know what they were. I just went out there, just saw other people going and figured out a way to get my body across something. And for the most part, I could do just about any obstacle that I saw out there. If I ever failed one, I, and I know I've talked about this on earlier episodes, right? I, first couple ones, I failed the spear. Couldn't quite figure that out. Took a few chances for me to really get the technique down and confidence that I can do something like that. Um, and the Z-Wall always just gave me a little bit of, of uh, issues as well. But really everything else, and once I figured out the Z-Wall, it wasn't, wasn't too bad again or anymore. But um, but any hanging stuff, climbing stuff, carrying stuff, I really just figured it out, right? I had, and and I'm not saying I'm the strongest person in the world. There's a pe plenty of people out there that are significantly stronger than me, but I have this minimal level of strength to get through 90% of the obstacles out there that I can just figure it out. And when you have this, this level of strength and control of your body, um, you have more options and that's the key. So 
when I struggle with one thing, I can try it a different way. And more than likely, I'll be successful. And I, that's what I think people should be striving for is that you have this strength that you can use multiple different strategies to get through obstacles because sometimes your first strategy is not going to work, right? So maybe you normally uh, go through the rig and you kind of do it like old school monkey bars, you know, uh, swinging with your arms extended, but then the, the handles are all muddy and wet or it's cold out and it's really hard to grip and you're more likely to slip. But if you have the strength to pull yourself up and do it with, you know, a, like more of a flex arm hang and pull yourself one ring to the next, it's way easier to grip it that way. Uh, so if you have the strength, you can do that. If you don't, you're just hoping you can hold on long enough and, and not fall off. So that's why we, one of the main reasons why we do strength, right? Like I said, gets us more dur durable, but we're trying to build that prerequisite. So if we understand how we can get strong, um, and understand all the pieces that this this article talks about. I just think we can write better programs for ourselves and we can really focus on it. And I think that's a mistake people often make. If, if I'm working with somebody and we decide that your your biggest um, your weakest link is your strength, right? You're you're just not strong enough to really do the things that we want you to be able to do. If you're still, even if you know that and you want to go right to these high intensity Metcon workouts where you're just trying to get your heart rate up and kind of going heavy, but not really, um, you're just trying to beat yourself down, that's not going to work. It's not going to be very effective. It, it's great for pushing you, right? Redlining it a little bit and that has its place, but I don't think this is the place for it. Instead, we want to focus on more strategies to get you strong. So that's why I thought really cool to you know see this article and and hopefully it gives you some insight so let's let's start with some some mechanisms so how do we get strong and the first point they talk about i thought it was kind of interesting that this is where they start um maximal mental effort it, just the brain alone alone really focusing on what you're trying to do is enough to build strength and i know that might sound kind of weird but when you look at the which we'll talk about in a second the main mechanism of building strength is the nervous system. So the, the central nervous system, the brain, and how it communicates with muscle fibers. And the stronger that connection and communication is, typically the stronger you are, especially if, we have, if we're talking about same muscle mass, like somebody that weighs the same amount, same size, um, the person who controls those muscles better is going to be stronger, right? So, um, but it's interesting, they've, they've looked at some studies where they, they took groups of people, divide them into two groups, both doing the same exact load, right? They're lifting the same amount. And they had one group do something that they call motor um, imagery training. And this is essentially just thinking about contracting and really imagining forceful muscle contractions and uh, just having the mindset of really thinking about what muscles am I working? Am I really feeling them engaged? Trying to get that that thought behind what you're actually doing and what they would find the group that even though they did the same stuff the group that involved this mental effort saw better increases in strength now they both got strong i don't want to make it sound like you have to do this but they saw actual increases so this is a piece to it that just by focusing the effort on what you're trying to do it's going to make that better connection between the brain and the muscles. And um, that's, I, th I think, a pretty interesting point there. So when you're lifting, really think about what muscles, what movement, what am I trying to, to do here versus just let me just push this weight as hard as I can, right? Think about how the body works together and all the muscles and groups of muscles that have to create that movement.
The next mechanism they talk about is maximal neural activation uh, of muscle to produce uh, forceful contraction. So what it's saying there is, again, this connection of the, the brain and the muscles. But now we actually not only have to think about it, but we need to contract those muscles. And we we know that the, the stronger this connection is, the more, more strength you're going to have. So like I said, uh, strength and muscle size don't always come together, right? You can have one muscle uh, or two people with the same muscle size and one be significantly stronger, right? And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is if that person has better um, activation of all those muscle fibers, they're going to be stronger. So if we think about, you know, a muscle group, I think about my, my pets, right? So we have all these muscle fibers within the pec. They're not all created equal. We have fast twitch muscle fibers and slow twitch muscle fibers, like I'm sure you've heard before. They don't all fire at the same time, um, especially if you don't work out at all. It's kind of, they don't really know what to do. And that's why people, when they're uncoordinated, they're really shaky and awkward because they don't know how to control that movement. But the more you do it and the more you stress those muscles, the, the better they get at that coordination. So you get more uh, muscle fibers firing at the same time altogether. So the, the body will only use what it needs, right? So if I'm going to um, pick up a pencil, right? And I bend down like I'm going to deadlift and I pick it up. I'm not going to use every muscle of my glute, my posterior chain to pick that up. I'm going to use the minimal amount that I need to. But now if I'm going to pick up something heavier, um, I'm going to have to recruit much more muscles. So I think the important piece here is if we're trying to get stronger, we're trying to recruit more muscle fibers. And one of the best ways to do that is by lifting heavier. Um, so if you're not hitting maximal loads, and uh, we'll talk about what that means in a little bit, but if we're really not stressing those muscle groups, we're really not increasing that neural activation and getting more muscles, motor units, muscle fibers to fire. So I think that's the big piece there is I have to stress the muscle enough for enough motor units, enough muscle fibers to, to fire to really see that, that strength there. All right, the next piece, the next mechanism they talk about is lifting and lowering movements or concentric and eccentric muscle contractions. So this is when a muscle lengthens or the eccentric portion and when a muscle shortens the concentric portion. We need both of these. And this basically, there's a lot of studies looking at when you compare eccentric and concentric to say just concentric only, uh, there's no question we see better increases in strength when we do both the concentric and the eccentric. And this is just how muscles work. So making sure we are doing uh, both aspects of it. Now, uh, isometrics have a, a place, right? Where we just do static holds, but just keep in mind when I'm doing an isometric hold, you're really only building strength in that one portion. It's not, you're not teaching the muscle and the joint to move under load, you're just holding a position. So while it's good, it's not really building the dynamic strength that we're probably looking for. So we need that concentric and eccentric. And the next mechanism, I think, is basically the same thing, um, but just going a little bit deeper. We need to be training through full range of motion, right? So like I said, if I'm doing isometric, you're only getting strong in that one spot. If you're not training a joint and a muscle through full range of motion, you're only getting strength within that limited range of motion. It's not necessarily going to carry over into... Um, uh, uh, bigger, you know, bigger ranges of motion. So we need that full eccentric and that full concentric. And not only do we need this full range of motion, this concentric and eccentric, we need force being behind it 
going back to the point about, you know, um, thinking about a muscle contraction without actually contracting it can lead to increases in strength. Obviously this is happening more for those that don't exercise or maybe that those that are um, immobilized, they're injured, they're in a cast. That's the studies that you're going to see that being beneficial. Um, but we also see studies where there's no mental effort and uh, they're hooked up to like uh, electric stim, right? To contract the muscles on their own. Uh, we do see levels of strength as well. Again, this is when there's very low exposure, right? Beginner injuries. So um, all of those import are important because they play a role. But really, if we're trying to get stronger, we need full range of motion under under load. Okay. Uh, and then the, the, the last mechanism for building strength on top of, you know, the nervous system, full range of motion, mental effort. Uh, is metabolic stress. So at least 196 metabolites, which are basically think byproducts of chemical reactions occurring in your body, significantly change in concentration, whether they go up or down after an acute bout of exercise. So that's pretty incredible how many things are actually going on while you're, you're lifting. So these are essentially signals throughout the body. So we need some type of metabolic stress to signal the body to respond, to, to build more muscle, to, to get that muscle stronger, to repair it, whatever it might be. So, um, so that's going to be an important piece, right? So we, we have to stress the body in order to, to create these signals. So these are all the different ways. So using the, the, the nervous system, mental effort, full range of motion, and some type of stress within the body, all the things we need to happen in order to get stronger. So like I said earlier, that's just the first step, right? You need to expose the body to some of these stressors in order to get stronger. But the magic is in the repetition, right? We need to expose our body to these stresses over and over again for something to happen. And that's that's where these mediators of strength gains occur. So we want long-term, right? We don't want short-term. Because um, if we think about it, right, when you work out, you actually are weaker afterwards. We We need to bounce back and get stronger. So the first mediator would be dose, right? So what's the dose of strength training? Just like with a medicine, right? You need a certain amount, a minimal effective dose for that medicine to actually work. Uh, same thing with exercise and resistance training. So typically we're gonna see, if we look at volume and that's a great way to, uh, to evaluate dose. And we see anywhere, you know, one to three sets is effective for building strength. So one set, is absolutely 100% effective if you are first getting started and it's a great place to start. Now, when I say one set or three sets, I'm talking about working sets. So these are under higher load for these sets. You might be doing warm up sets that we won't necessarily account towards these, but one to three working sets uh, are effective. So in the beginning, probably want to start with like one working set. It's going to have less of a um, less damage to the muscle, easier to recover from. If you go right to like four sets, uh, you're going to be really sore and you're not going to be able to work out again for a while. So if we're looking for more frequency, we want to keep that volume down until we can we can build up to it. Uh, two to three seems to be ideal. Uh, four to six may give you extra benefit, but it's not that much. So it kind of depends on if I have the time um, and um, I, I want to add more, that might be okay. If I don't have the time, I don't feel guilty about not getting in those extra work sets in there. Uh, number of repetitions, we're looking for, um, you know, pretty close to failure within one to five reps. 
would be typically what we're going to see. And that's what we're talking about with high intensity resistance exercise. So uh, two to three sets seems to be ideal. One to five reps seems to be ideal. Uh, again, things you can play around there. Now, the next aspect we have to pay attention to is uh, beginning each set of, uh, of resistance exercise in a minimally fatigued state, right? So I talked about this earlier. If you're doing more Metcon training and you're, you're running and then lifting and then doing all this crazy stuff, that's fine. Just keep in mind that's not how you get strong. And that's not ideal in this situation. So if strength's the main goal, I want minimal uh, fatigue entering my next set. So um, how I like to set this up, I'll, I'll pick like one or two exercises that I'm really going to focus on on uh, uh, getting strong. And I'll do more straight sets. So I might do, let's just say deadlifts. So I'm going to do some deadlifts uh, and I'm going to build up to my, you know, two to three working sets of one to five reps, but I'm going to be taking at least two minutes of recovery in between, making sure that I am pretty fresh going into each one. Now, I know if you're doing straight sets for a whole workout, sometimes it gets boring or it just takes a while. So then I might go with some secondary exercises in uh, and do more supersets or circuits or something like that. But I'm at least going to start the workout um, as, as fresh as possible. So at least two minutes of rest. Uh, do it first. If these are the, the things we want to get better at, we're going to do these before we're fatigued. And if I'm and I'm going to try and avoid doing endurance training before it's going to have a uh, um, uh, prob probably a, um, a negative effect on my strength if I'm doing endurance training the same day right before I do my lifting. So just some things to think about um, with each session. You also want to think about optimizing recovery in between training sessions, right? So we want super compensation. You want to bounce back stronger every time. If you feel like you're just beaten up, you're always sore, not really seeing any improvements in your weights, this is probably where you want to focus. You're just trying to push too, too much too soon, right? So if we're going to have a heavy resistance training day, keep in mind, it's going to take 24 to 72 hours to recover from that. So if you are trying to bounce back the next day, you, there's a good chance you won't be able to. So keep keep that in mind when you're putting together your program that you are recovered in between. And then the last aspect, uh, periodiza periodization, right? Where we're planning these challenges. We need to progressively overload the body. And we're going to manipulate different training variables. Might be changing the exercises up. It might be changing the loading, the rep scheme, the sets, uh, tempo, lots of different things that we can do. So we, we plan that every, you know, four to six weeks, we're, we're making some changes to ensure that we are continuing to get stronger. So as long as we're doing all those things, um, we're going to, those mechanisms that we talked about earlier are going to be used to help us get stronger. Now, uh, the next piece they talked about, future direction. So um, some things that you might want to play around with. And, and there's actually some decent research on some of these things uh, if they are applicable to you. Uh, the first one is super maximal training intensity. And this is basically saying you're lifting beyond your concentric one rep max. So this is essentially negatives or eccentric training where we're focusing on the lowering because you tend to be stronger in the lowering. You're still doing the concentric, but in some way we're, we're trying to do it so we can stress the eccentric phase a little bit more and then we can lighten the uh, concentric phase. So kind of I think what most people are familiar with is you, let's say I'm going to do a bench press. I put heavy loading on there, potentially more than my one rep max, and I just work on bringing it down really slowly, and then I have a partner help me lift it back up, right? Same thing. I do one to three reps of that 
Um, and the, the one thing, be careful, you do tend to get very sore and it takes a long time to recover from these. But uh, these are all options using bands and chains or other things that are um, becoming uh, po are popular as well that, that can uh, accentuate that eccentric portion of the lift. All right, uh, they talk about some supplemental activities. Some of these just may not be as realistic, but blood flow restriction training is a big one where we're limiting blood flow to the muscle. A lot of research on this showing that you can use much lighter loading uh, to get much more benefit from it. So more muscle growth, more strength using as little as like 30% of one rep max I've seen. So, um, so just interesting things. You would have to have some uh, blood pressure cuffs to uh, specifically designed for this to uh, to put on the arms or the legs, and you, it can only be used for the arms or the legs because that's the only place we can safely uh, slow that blood flow down. But it's going to create a lot of metabolic stress, um, which are one of the mechanisms that we we talked about earlier. Another thing, optimizing recovery strategies. Obviously, this you know something that I've talked about, but really putting that emphasis on helping the body recover, not just how hard can you push, but how how well can you recover. So massages, ice baths, compression, uh, sauna, all these these fun things that are out now are are playing a role in helping us recover a little bit faster, so we can train a little bit more often which I think is the real benefit of the recovery methods is we bounce back faster and we can train, train um, more often. And then the last kind of thing they talked about, technology. Obviously, technology is always changing and there's some cool things from uh, EMG biofeedback to see how well the muscles are, are um, activating or gamification, um, velocity-based training just to, to see you know, how fast you're moving, the bar, the weight, whatever it might be. Um, uh, HRV, heart rate variability, all these different wearables that are just giving us some data. The, the biggest drawback is sometimes we get too much data and we, we don't really know how to interpret it. But as the technology gets better and better, um, it helps us recover better, to push harder, to really look at some metrics to see how we are getting stronger. So all really, really cool, cool things there. Uh, the last piece, uh, and I know this is one of my longer uh, um, research reviews, but I just thought this article had so many good things to discuss here. Um, th there's a couple more things in here, but really the last thing I want to talk about is uh, low load intervention. So what happens if, hey, this is great, I, I want to get stronger, but I just don't have access to um, heavy weights. Now what? What do I do? And and they gave a, good, uh, a few good recommendations on things that you uh, probably want to pay attention to. If you just don't have access, maybe you only have body weight, you're on vacation whatever, you're at the beach and you want to get a good workout. Um, so if I'm, if I'm trying to um, increase strength, the good news is low loads are effective too. And in some research, just as effective as low, um, higher loads. The, the main thing is, and I think where most people have a hard time, it's very hard to do it with low loads because you have to push so hard and get to the same amount of fatigue versus having, you know, 80% of your one rep max, but you can use 20, 30% if you do it the right way. We just have to train to near, near fatigue, very high intensities and doing lots of reps sometimes gets very, very difficult. Sometimes form breaks down and things like that. So you have to be paying attention to all those things or just the mental side of it. It's, it's hard, right? You're gonna have to really push yourself, but um, if you can use that low resistance and just take it to that 
uh, that type of fatigue, you are going to recruit more and more muscle fibers. As you go, certain mu uh, muscle fibers are going to start to fatigue. So other ones are going to have to step in. So it takes a lot longer. It's a lot harder. But using lighter loads, you can actually still get strong if you're training to uh, momentary failure or near failure. Uh, the other thing you can do with light weights is just move quicker, which is another thing. So you can use loads like 30 to 50% of your one rep max. As long as you're moving with max velocity um, as quickly as you can, you're actually improving that, that neuromuscular response. And we're going to see significant increases in strength that way as well. And then the other thing, kind of funny, um, and it's probably only really applicable for those that are injured or just getting started, but um, it almost goes back to that first thing we talked about, that mental effort. But using co-contraction of agonist and antagonist muscles to create your own resistance. I know that was a mouthful, but basically imagine you're going to do a bicep curl. If you tighten your tricep while you try and do a bicep curl, it's fatiguing after a while. And if you really struggle, you can make it as hard as possible to, to create that contraction. So this is a great intervention, especially if like there's an injury or you have no other option and you just can't do any loading or something like that. They found that this is at least great for retaining some strength. So you don't, you don't lose strength as fast uh, or for the beginner or untrained individual who's just trying to, to get started, these will be beneficial for them. But uh, so that, that's a very particular uh, time that might be effective. But I do think if you have low loads, going to failure and going uh, with faster velocity are, are great ways. So again, I know this was a long one, uh, but I think it was important stuff that we, we talk about for helping you build better strength. Well, let's talk about making you more resilient, more durable. Uh, we've all dealt with injuries and they're no fun, right? So the goal is we want to be able to train hard because we, if you listen to this podcast, you probably love training. You love working out. You love pushing yourself and you love racing. You love competing, all these things. And when you're hurt, you, you either can't do it at all or you can't do it at the level that you want to do. So the key is, you know, are we doing everything possible to stay durable, but also be able to work out and push ourselves hard. And I think this is a, a hard balance sometimes because we don't want to just do nothing. Um, but if we just go all in all the time, that's that's when problems happen. So I thought this would be a good topic. And, and for today, part one, we're talking about the body keeping us more resilient uh, so we can we can push hard, but do it, do it smarter. And then, like I said, next time we'll talk about becoming mentally resilient, because I think those really have to go hand in hand. And if you're only focusing on your body, um, we have other issues that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, so we want that balance there. So I have kind of a list of things that I think is worth discussing that hopefully you're doing. If not, maybe you can add them in or at least start paying attention to a few things in here. Um, and a lot of these I know I've talked about before, but um, at least grouping them all together to make you more, more bulletproof. And the first thing is understand if, are you at risk for more injuries, right? So we, some of us get hurt all the time and some of us don't maybe occasionally get hurt. And we have some things that help determine if we're at higher risk for, for getting hurt. And, you know, some things are modifiable, you know, we can change them and some things are not right. So typically the older you get, the more likely 
something can go wrong. Uh, not to say that happens with everybody, but these are just things that we want to consider. So do you want to train the same way you trained when you're 20 versus 60? I hope not. I hope you're doing a few different things because there's more at risk the older you get. Again, I'm not saying you can't push yourself. And if you're in good shape at 60, you should be pushing yourself. But um, it's all within within reason and being smart about it. But um, I, I, you know, I know we talked, uh, already did my research review, but um, actually in that same um, uh, journal, in the same month or volume, there was another study looking at um, military recruits, um, actually out here in San Diego at the Marine Corps Depot. And they were just trying to assess injury susceptibility, right? With the military, they're always trying to find, well, who, who's at the most at risk? Because obviously a hurt soldier is not as effective. So um, so I think these studies are always good to look at because they obviously are looking out for, for their, their soldiers and making sure that they can function at the highest level. And what they did was they um, had them do a battery of tests and they had them do the functional movement screen, the FMS, which is something I've talked about before and that I teach. They had them do the Y balance test, specifically the lower quarter that's looking at your lower body control, basically how well you do on one leg. And they looked at ankle dorsiflexion range of motion. And what they found were those that that scored uh, aggregately with all of those, the, the ones when I combined those three different tests, the ones that scored the worst, um, specifically when they were looking at lower body mobility and stability, those were the ones at higher risk, highest risk of injury. So it's always hard. We're never going to be able to predict who's going to get hurt. But at least if you're in the more likely camp, um, we want to pay more attention to some of these things. So um, I bring these up because if you've never really evaluated your movement before, I do recommend you um, you doing that, finding somebody who could do a, a movement screen on you. Uh, I think it's it's helpful. I'll, I'll even put a link in the show notes where you can look on a map and search your address and see if there's anybody in your area, because I, I bet there probably is somebody that can do something as simple as a, a functional movement screen just to see how well you move. Because, and again, if you move poorly, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get hurt. And if you move well, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to get hurt. But we're just trying to stack the deck in your favor because we can't predict everything. But if we just start removing some risks factors, it's less likely, right? If you've been hurt often before, when you're hurt once, that's one of the best predictors of a future injury. There's a, a good chance that you're more vulnerable and going to hurt it again. So did you take care of that injury? Did you do therapy? Was it that significant enough that you had to? Right. If you have a reoccurring injury and you've never done anything about it, you probably want to take the time. So I think uh, that's really the first step is seeing where you are. Right. So just let's let's evaluate. And I think the biggest thing is how well do you move? Do you have adequate mobility? Do you have adequate stability? If you're going to be loading your body with with weight, you better be able to do those things pretty well. Right. Not perfect. You don't need to move perfectly, but you need to move pretty well. Uh, and if you don't, hey, there's definitely some things that you want to consider and, and start working on. Um, and then do you have previous significant injury? And if you do, are you doing something to take care of that? Because what most people do is they get hurt, they lay off it, and then it stops hurting. And then they just go right back to whatever they're doing, not realizing, hey, you have compensations, maybe they're still tearing or, you know, whatever it might be. You want to come back stronger, so you have to address those things. So I think that's a great starting point is evaluate where you are, pay attention to where you've been. So when you move forward, you're going to be in the best 
shape that you you can possibly be. Now, I, I, I at least I have to talk about the <clears throat> non-sexy things first because we just skip over them. And that would be sleep, nutrition, and programming. Uh, those are the big rocks. And if you're not doing anything about those, you're not going to recover, you're not going to adapt, and you're not going to perform at your best. So if you're sleeping less than seven, really less than eight hours, what can we do to improve that? And I know you've heard it a million times, and you're going to hear it again. If you're not getting enough sleep where you wake up feeling pretty rested, you should start taking some action there. And I, I promise you will feel better. Right? It might be a pain in the butt because you have to go to bed earlier. You have to do some different things in order to make that happen. It's worth it. right? So come up with a plan so you can sleep better. And then obviously you're eating well. If we're talking about muscle recovery, are we getting enough protein, amino acids, things like that? We have to build. right? We're always breaking down protein and building it back up. We need those building blocks. We need carbs. We need fats. right? We need it all. But are we getting them in the right amounts and, and uh, healthy uh, sources of those different macronutrients. And then obviously programming, which I, I talked about a little bit in the last segment, being smart about your programming, right? You're doing a little bit of strength training, a little bit of endurance, are you recovering in between, not doing too much at once, um, focusing on different goals. Obviously that's a whole segment in itself, but just being smart about those things. So I at least want to make sure I didn't skip over the big things. I, I think that's where you you get those dialed in and it makes everything else a lot easier. So let's dive into really, I think these are all pretty simple for the most part, but what should you be doing in your training? Because I know that's what most people want to know uh, in order to make yourself as durable as possible. And I think if we look at, well, how do people get hurt? It, it gives us some answers and it tends to go back to programming, nutrition, sleep, all things like that. Um, but I promise I'll talk about other things too. But one uh, overuse is, is a big injury, right? We do the same things over and over and over again. So you're a runner, you run, you're a swimmer, you swim, you're a lifter, you lift, maybe do the same exercises over and over, whatever it might be, but the same movements over and over and over again, have a cost to them, right? So we want to minimize that cost. So you should be doing things a little bit differently. And that's the, I brought up the point of a periodization in the last segment, right? So you're, you're manipulating these different things. So knowing if, Hey, if I run year round, that's, that's a problem, right? That that's a lot of wearing on my joints. So this is why cross training is so beneficial. So take a break from running. When you feel like your joints, your, your Achilles, your knees, your back, when they're taking a beating, more running probably isn't the answer. Right? So let's take a break from running. And I know that's hard. That's really hard for people to do, but find something else, right? A salt bike rower, something less impact. So you can still get some good conditioning in, but not beat up those joints. And I always just bring up cross training as one of the simplest things you can do or just, or varying what you do. If you always use barbells, you always use kettlebells, right? Start to switch it up a little bit, use different tools because they all have a unique thing that will help you out and start building up your, you know, if you're in your garage, wherever, building up your, your gym a little bit. So you have different options. So, you know, squats a squat, but if I can manipulate it a little bit, it's not the same exact stress being placed on the same parts of my body. So, um, Cross training, I think, is a great, great place to start. Now, 
another thing when we look at getting hurt and injuries, especially when we're looking at joints, when does it typically happen? Um, one big thing, it's usually when we're at end range, when you're at end range of motion of that joint, you're most vulnerable, right? The muscles are stretched out. You're putting more stress on the connective tissue, tendons, ligaments, things like that. And especially when we get to some of those um, static stabilizers like ligaments, they can't contract back, right? They're, they're static. They just hold a joint in place. When the muscle's stretched and it's not really supporting you anymore, you rely more on those static stabilizers and when the load is too much, that's when we have issue, maybe some tearing, inflammation, things like that. So what can we do to prevent that? Well, one, make sure we have good range of motion, right? A joint moves the way it's supposed to move um, because if it's limited and you go past that, then you run into problems. But even when you have normal range of motion, you wanna make sure you strengthen your end range of motion. So what I mean by this, and a lot of times we might use things like um, isometrics, um, or it doesn't have to be, when I say strengthen, it doesn't have to be heavy resistance. It's just getting you stronger in certain positions. So doing things that, for example, like, um, you know, if we're talking about the shoulder, right, being able to get your arm straight up over your head, that's a tough position for some people to be in. So when we, we work on mobility, so you can raise your arm up over your head, and then I'm going to do some drills just working on strengthening that overhead position. So really simple example is once I get it where you can lift your arm overhead and, and your posture looks good, I'm going to have you do like an overhead hold. We're going to take a dumbbell or a kettlebell or a sandbag or something, and you're going to hold it over your head, whether it be one arm or two arm. And we're going to work on just hanging out there and breathing and holding. Maybe I get you marching. Maybe I get you walking. Um, but I do something just to get that end range position. So think about, you know, especially when we look at like your, your shoulder, your hips, ankles, these joints that need to be pretty mobile. I want to make sure that they're strong for that full range of motion. So one, make sure you have good range of motion at the joint. And then two, let's start to strengthen that end range. So start taking joints through full range of motion. And I'll, I'll put in the show notes a couple examples of, of some uh, shoulder exercises and some hip exercises that it's basically kind of like exploring your range of motion and they're hard. They look really simple and they're usually body weight, but you're just trying to go through as much range of motion as possible with your own uh, strength. And um, it's a great way to uh, kind of prep for workouts and, and get those joints functioning a little bit better. All right. Uh, the next thing I want to stay on the joints or, or really stay on more of that connective tissue, fascia, things like that. We want to build those up as well. A lot of times with our strength training, we primarily focus on the muscles, right? So I know I just spent all this time talking about strength and, and building mus muscular strength, which is all great. But what we've learned, I think, from the bodybuilding world is when the muscle strength exceeds the joints limit, we have problems, right? When all we do is focus on bigger, stronger muscles and not pay attention to the joint, that's a lot of strain on tendons and ligaments and, and things like that, uh, the fascia. So we want to make sure that we are training those aspects as well. And some, some things I like to do there, one is just isometrics, holding positions. So putting a joint in a particular position and just holding it for an extended period of time. Uh, yes, you're training your muscles. The muscles are gonna burn after a while, but we're putting your joint in a position and we're gonna get you really strong in that position. So it's not just about the muscles. Isometrics are gonna be great for the joints as well. Uh, for example, uh, I love using like split squat holds where you're gonna go on one knee 
kind of like you're at the bottom of a split squat or a lunge. And then you are going to keep in good posture. You're just going to lift up like half an inch off the ground on your back knee, and you're just going to hold it there. So we're creating tension in the muscles, but we're also creating that stiffness in the joints and, and trying to help build that, that strength there. Uh, the other thing, especially for some tendons um, and connective tissue is our, um, our plyometrics and, and really our elastic plyometrics. So I'm not talking about like big, like box jumps and power moves like that. I'm thinking more bouncy, like, like bunny hops and single leg hops and really fast, uh, kind of like those fast twitch movements where we're trying to be really springy. Those are also, again, we're getting that fascial stretch to, to get that recoil to, um, to give us more power output. We're getting the joints working. Um, you obviously you're still training the muscles, but I think these are great for starting to, to prep the joints a little bit. So again, I'll try and find a few, uh, exercises for, for some of these more elastic plyometrics as well. And isometrics, all of these are, are great for, um, really taking care of those joints a little bit. So it's not just focusing on, on the muscles there. Uh, another thing that we, again, I'm repeating a little bit what I talked about in the last segment because, hey, guess what? When you're stronger, you tend to be a little bit more, more durable, assuming that we're, we're going about it the right way. And I think uh, eccentrics are going to be important as well. So remember, eccentrics are when the muscle is contracting, but it's lengthening. And a lot of times our muscular strains that we, we might suffer tend to be when we're, the muscle is stretching and then there's either a tear or a cramp or, or something like that. So it's a great idea to emphasize some eccentric training. And in the last segment, we talked kind of like the heavy eccentric training, which is great for building strength. I don't think that's necessarily what we need to do right here. Instead, just emphasize the eccentric portion of a lift, right? So if I'm doing a push-up, for example, take like five, six, seven seconds to go down in a push-up or, or a lunge or a split squat or a squat, right? So just picture, especially if it's muscles that you tend to have issues with, like hamstrings, might be a big one. If you tend to have hamstring issues, maybe we're doing like a stability ball hamstring curl, but we're going to take five, six, seven seconds for that ball to lower out. And then we'll take one or two seconds to come back. So just really emphasizing that tension under load and then stretching the muscle out. I think that's one of the big reasons why we see um, the Nordic hamstring curl get so much popularity, especially with like hamstring health. Um, even knee issues. So uh, that that's a great exercise. Most people really struggle with it because it's so intense. Um, but I'll show some uh, some videos that you can check out in the show notes with some uh, modifications on how to make that easier. But the the idea is we're trying to eccentrically load those those muscles so they they bounce back and get stronger and stronger. Um, so all all great ways that we can easily increase training uh, or, or increase our durability with, with the training that we're doing. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to talk about, and I talked about this in the last episode, uh, so hopefully it all made, made sense. Um, but I think this is a big one. Again, when we look at where, how injuries happen, they often happen during rotational movements, not always, but it's, it's a pretty common thing. And when we look at movement, we, we see that movement occurs, it's three-dimensional, right? Three planes of motion, all movement occurs. So we want to be training three-dimensionally. And if you've never heard of this topic, it might be a little confusing. But we, we break movement down into three planes of motion. So the first is called sagittal, the sagittal plane. And this is what most exercises. This is forward, backwards, up, down type movement, right? So a lunge, a push-up, a squat, 
um, all things like that, that would be considered sagittal. Usually I would, when I first learned it, I always look at, if I look at you from the side, I see that movement really well, right? So if I had you squat down or do a push up, if I stood at your side, I would see most of that movement happening. Uh, the next plane is the frontal plane. This be side to side lateral movement. So I would see this well by being in front of you, right? If I was standing in front of you and you did a lateral lunge, then um, I would see that movement really well. So while you can do a forward lunge and a lateral lunge, they have similar muscles they recruit, but definitely different, right? Um, it, it's going to hit the joints differently, the muscles differently, but this is how movement occurs in real life. So we want to make sure we're exposing the body to it. And then our, our final plane, the transverse plane, this would be rotational movement. So this would mean be like looking straight down from above you and seeing you rotate. Uh, so that that would be our, our transverse plane. So the, the goal is in training is to make sure you're checking these boxes, right? Make sure the sagittal plane's easy. You're doing some, some exercises in the sagittal plane. You're doing some exercises side to side in the frontal plane, and you're doing some exercises that have a rotation to it. Uh, so really any exercise you think about, we can, we can do this. We can add a rotational movement or we can add a rotational force, lateral movement, lateral force. There's, there's lots of different ways that we can implement this, but it trains the joints differently. It trains the muscles differently. And you're trying to expose your, that's the whole point. If we look at functional training, trying to expose you to all the different positions you might be in and all the forces that you might have to deal with in everyday life or, or performance. And we know in a race, you are going to be under lots of different force, right? There's, there's hills, there's uh, terrain, there's obstacles, there's things you're carrying and dragging. Uh, you're pulling and, and pushing on, on different parts of the body and usually in weird ways. So we want to implement safe ways that we can uh, challenge the body. But the more we expose it to it, the, the stronger, the more durable it's going to get. So having these three-dimensional movements in your program are going to be really, really important. So I'll do the best I can to at least show a few exercises that hopefully make some of these points a, a little bit more clear. But think about all those things, how you might be able to incorporate you know, better range of motion, strengthening your end range of motion, uh, using isometrics and plyometrics to improve joint integrity, getting in three planes of motion, emphasizing eccentric training, and then obviously sleep, nutrition, better programming, all these things. If you, I know this is a lot, uh, but just think about maybe one or two things that you can implement right now that are going to start to help, help with your training and make you more resilient so you can keep doing this for a longer period of time. Right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 103 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and making this a part of your training routine. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, the Amino Company and uh, check out all their great products, as well as the Pod Company. If you want to add a little bit of ice bath to your routine, great product, super affordable. Uh, definitely check them out. Don't forget, visit the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 103. Lots of links and fun stuff in there uh, for you to check out. Uh, that's it for now. Until next time, keep training smarter.